appreciate you being involved. I want to thank you just before I get into this. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, uh, the outpouring from this family, I'm so thankful. As many of you know, my, my dad, he passed away, and last Monday was his service right here in this sanctuary, and a lot of you were here, uh, huge, huge crowd, and uh, I was so thankful to that, that that many people had come to pay respects to him, what a great man he was, um, and a blessing to our church and to my life especially. And I just want to thank you. I, I, I can't tell you uh, the food was overwhelming. I mean, you should have, I, Heather, Heather was collecting food, and, and she took a picture one time of, of the back of her car, and her and she she showed up at my mom's house. The back of her whole car was full of food, and she was carrying a cake on her lap driving. And it was just amazing. And a lot of that food would get to my house, and then Deb and I'd say, "Okay, we're heading over there," and we'd load up uh, what whatever. We'd take a load and go, and then the next time we'd go, we'd take another load and go. And we were just so grateful, so thankful for the for the outpouring cards and the text and emails and phone calls and food and. So many, many things that y'all did, and we're so very thankful for that. Um, we we had kind of kept, tried to keep it on the down low as much as we could uh, because my mom is not in good health, and she was under obviously under a lot of stress. When dad was in the hospital, uh, when they took dad into the hospital the night that he had the, the, the problem with his heart, my mom was sitting with him in the emergency room. The doctor came in, looked at my dad, looked at my mom and said to her, I think I'm more worried about you than I am him. So you know what kind of shape she was in. Hemoglobin need to be about 15. Hers was 4.8. And so uh, she was immediately checked into emergency room and both of them were in the hospital together. And uh, that's where we were until they dismissed him for to go to the hospice. And we went to hospice. They discharged her to be able to go. We got to hospice, and we were there for eight hours, and he went on to be with the Lord. And so uh, uh, that, those were some pretty, uh, pretty dire times there for us, uh, knowing that our daddy was going and wondering if our mama was. So you can imagine uh, what, what kind of uh, situation we as a family were in, and we were so thankful because so many of you were praying and, we, and calling and texting, and we were so thankful to receive that. And again, I just appreciate that so much. I'm so thankful, though, for what's been going on around here every week. Uh, the Holy Spirit just continues to move. You know, we, we, the, that service about four Sunday mornings ago, how many of you all remember that? About four Sunday mornings ago, and we got in here, we started church at 10 o'clock, and we, we have a 1 o'clock service. At four minutes to one, the musicians unplugged their guitars, walked off the stage, and the 1 o'clock musicians walked in and plugged in, and started it went from one just the service just went from one right into the next and the one o'clock was an amazing service as well and the holy spirit i think was just blessing us and giving us an awesome day uh, because we need those seasons from time to time we need those times god knew what was going on and there was healings and there were miracles just awesome awesome things that took place and i am told that since then i've been gone the last couple of weeks but that the, the movement of the Spirit has continued to just be powerful in this place through the worship and the, the messages. And I appreciate the staff for just continuing to carry that on. And we have an awesome staff, church. We are blessed to have an awesome staff. That Amen. Amen.
that if any of any one of us are gone, the rest of them just step in and you can't you don't even hardly notice when somebody's missing. And so I'm so thankful for all of our staff and our deacons and our leaders. I want you to get your Bible, though. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 38. Let me list for you before we read this text a couple of ways that you can tell that it's going to be a rotten day. A rotten day. First of all, if you wake up face down on the pavement, it's probably going to be a pretty bad day. If it's your birthday and your twin brother forgets to tell you happy birthday, if your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles, If you're on your way to work and your car horn goes off accidentally and it remains stuck on while you're following a group of hell's angels on the freeway. If you get to work and the boss tells you not to bother to take off your jacket. Then there's a real good chance that that's going to be a bad day. There's so many things that happen in our lives that cause us to worry and, and to have anxiety if we allow it. But what good will that do? I, I've read this statistic to you before, but I'm going to read it to you again because a lot of you weren't here when I did. But an average person's anxiety is focused on several things. And, the, and there's a percentage. Check this out. An average person's anxiety is focused on 40% of things that will never happen. about things concerning the past that can't be changed. 12% things about criticism by others that's mostly untrue. 10% is focused on health that gets worse with stress and worrying. And that's 92% of what we worry about if you're keeping track. And 8% about real problems that you're probably going to face. So 100% of what you worry about, 8% of it is probably worth thinking about but not worrying about either. So why do we spend so much of our lives anxious and worrying and fretting? I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I'm reading from contemporary English version today because I just like the way it's worded. It's telling us a story that the Lord, this is Jesus and his disciples, were traveling along and they came to a village. When they got there, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat down in front of the Lord and was listening to what he said. And Martha was worried about all that had to be done. And finally, she went to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it bother you that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. And the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. That's what you ought to say to somebody sitting to you that worries all the time. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what's best, and that will not be taken from her. This is a very interesting story. And it's one that can easily be misunderstood if you don't stop long enough to really break it down and think about it, okay? 
Martha is a friend of Jesus. It's not just a person that lived in a town. This is Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Martha, Mary, Lazarus, brothers, sisters, friends of Jesus for a long period of time. The same Lazarus that dies is dead for three days and Jesus goes and raises him up. This is the same family. I don't know where wives and husbands and parents and all these are in the story, but it would seem from what we're looking at here that maybe Martha is a widow. That's what some scholars think. And that Mary and Lazarus live with her. And Jesus has been a friend for a long time and probably some of the other disciples as well. So it's a natural thing, perhaps when Jesus is through this way, to stop by and eat dinner with them and hang around and visit, talk about where they've been and what they've been doing. It's probably kind of a natural thing. So on this particular day, Jesus shows up with at least the 12. I don't know how many others. There's usually an entourage, right? Everywhere he goes. And Martha welcomes him and his disciples into her home. And she's going to feed them and take care of them. Now, you need to understand, any of you that were around a couple of years back, I showed pictures of what they think was Peter's home. And it's basically just a square that would fit on this platform probably three times. The whole house. It was typical of a lot of the houses that the people lived in at that time in that particular region of the world. I don't have any reason to think that Martha's house would have been a large, luxurious house. I don't have any reason to think that from what I've studied, it would appear to me that probably, I mean, probably, I don't know, but probably she lived in a house that might have been about the third of the size of this stage, which is the size of some of y'all's living rooms or bedrooms. Their whole family, the three of them are living there, and Jesus comes along with at least 12 men, not counting the rest and they're coming to her house for dinner, ladies. Got to get the picture. So we're going to have at least 12 plus 3 is 15 plus however many more, maybe 20, 25 people, I don't know, that are going to try to gather on this third of the stage for lunch. Anybody stressing out yet? So before you start being too hard on Martha, who this is her house and this is her responsibility. Before we start getting too hard on Martha and saying, boy, she just needs to get her mind right. You need to consider the situation. Now, Mary, it's not her house takes a little bit of a different approach. She's the one that we praise and she's actually the one that does the better thing. She just drops everything and sits at the feet of Jesus. This is the same type of sitting that you find whenever Paul talks about how he learned under the, the wise teacher Gamaliel. Remember that? It said that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And this is what you, this is what would happen in the culture. Uh, there were many great teachers and rabbis in that day and they all had disciples and their disciples would follow them place to place. 
So it's not an unusual thing that Jesus would have this group with him and that they would all be traveling together. And that when a great teacher would sit down somewhere, it was customary for those students to show their honor for that person by sitting in a humble place below them. Hence, at their feet. It says they're sitting at their feet. It actually means, doesn't necessarily mean that all of them are sitting on his feet. It means that he's sitting in a slightly elevated spot and everybody else has found a place, a way to get below him to show their humility and to sit and to look up and to listen to what he has to say. Mary has chosen this particular posture. She has found her spot sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's drinking in everything that he has to say. Which is what all of us think we would have done had we been there. Amen? But which is what probably 20% of us would have really done and the other 80 would have done what Martha did. Why? Because, maybe 25, I don't know. But, but because of the way that we are all wired with our different personalities and the way that we are responsible and the way that we think. I'm going to tell you, if I had been Martha, I would have done what Martha did. I've always been the guy that as long as there's a job to do, I'm going to work. And then when the job is done, I'm going to rest. Anybody else like that? I can't knowing I can't enjoy knowing that I got something looming that I got to do. I can't enjoy doing anything fun. I'm just that way. I've always been that way. That doesn't make me wrong, right, better, good, nothing like that. It doesn't make me anything other than the way I am. And that is, if somebody says, we got a big old job to do, but when we get done, then we're going to go do something fun. And if somebody were to get me up the next morning and say, we decided to go do something fun, and then we're gonna, then I'd spend the whole time doing the fun thing, worrying about the work we had to do. Anybody else like that? That's Martha. Martha isn't a sinner. Martha isn't crazy. Martha isn't being disrespectful to the Lord Jesus. She just got a job to do. It's her house. It's her little house crammed full of men that are hungry. And somebody's got to feed them. And somebody's got to take care of them. And it's her house. So she is a responsible, hospitable lady. She's not a sinner. So for all those messages you've heard over the years about Martha, Martha, you need to get your life right. Martha, you need to get your mind right. Martha, you need. Hey, let's lay off of Martha. She's doing what most of us would do. There's a job to be done. And we would think, okay, Jesus is coming. Let's get the food ready. Let's get everything done. Then let's eat. Then let's clean up. Right? Let's take out the trash. But when everything is done, then okay, now let's relax. Am I right? So get this picture and understand what's going on in this situation. After a period of time of her scurrying about and trying to do all this work, you know it's a small place, so it's not like she's off in one end of the house and there in another. I mean, they're all sitting around and she's trying to work around, right? And she's watching Mary 
and she's working and she's watching Mary and she's working and she's watching Mary. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she knows that Mary ain't going to come and help her because she asked her to. She needs Jesus to help her with this. He's the only one she's listening to. So she says, Jesus, really? Are you hungry, Lord? You want something to eat? Huh? You boys here going to get you get you, th- you guys want to eat some sometime today? Do you think that maybe you could tell her to help me? It's such an interesting word that is used to convey the idea in that passage. If you study that and you look at that in the Greek, when she says to Jesus, "Tell her to come and help me." The word that is used there, check this out, is if you could get this what's it's the connotation of, of two poles that come together at the top. And they, they push on one another for the sake of bearing up the weight of a building. So you would have these two poles or these two columns that, that they, they lean up and they push into one another. And the weight of the house sits on that. The two of them working together. That is what she's saying to Jesus. She's not carrying her weight. That's what she said. I'm the pole that's holding up the house. And she's the pole that's sitting at your feet. And I'm holding up this whole thing and doing all this work all by myself. And you just keep talking. Mm. Mm. Some of us are like that sometimes when we're under stress and anxiety and we're praying. And we're like, God, I keep praying and you aren't doing anything. You just keep talking. God, you just keep talking. I know everything's going to be okay. And I know in your timing, la, 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 la. But you ain't doing nothing. Here I am, Lord. I'm doing my part. And where are you at? You just talking. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, that'd be great. Huh? Say, I've never done that. That's not right. Oh, you've thought it. Sometimes you get angry. You're like, God, now you know we've had this conversation. This is not the first time we've been talking about this for a long time. And you hadn't done nothing. This is what's going on with Martha. And Jesus tells her, you're worried and anxious about so many things. Some folks will find something to worry about even if they don't have anything to worry about. If they don't have something to worry about, they'll make something up so they can worry. That's how some people are. I don't advocate that. That, that's not that's not any kind of fun. I don't want to worry. I don't want to go through my life worrying and stressing about things. Amen. Some people just they want to worry. They they can't they can't get around. They can't live life unless they're, unless they're worried about something. And so Jesus chides her a little bit and he says, Martha, you are anxious and worried about so many things. If it wasn't about us being here, it'd be something else. If it wasn't about dinner, it'd be something else. That still doesn't make her a bad person. But check this out. Because she's experiencing inward anxiety, she begins to exhibit outward agitation. Anybody else ever do that? Because when your mind gets divided 
or disturbed or distracted. And you start getting stressed. What's going on on the inside will find its way to the outside. But Jesus said only one thing is necessary. Now, what was he saying here? I, I know what you think he was saying, and maybe that is what he was saying. But I just want, I just want you to think about something else here. I, I just want you to you know, kind of go down this road with me for a minute. You're saying, well, he was saying only one thing's necessary, and, and she's chosen the better thing. Only one thing's necessary, and that's for her to sit at my feet. Well, hang on a minute. If that's what he's saying, then who's fixing dinner? Huh? If he is saying in that statement, but only one thing is necessary, and she has chosen the better part. See, I think she's saying two things there. Some people think that it's all one. Only one thing is necessary, and she has chosen that thing. That's how we want to take that. I'm not so sure that's what that means. Hang on a minute. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But if that's what he meant, if he just said only one thing's necessary and that, I mean, that'd make a great message. I could hear preachers all over the place saying, well, yeah, the bread of life. I mean, that's the only thing that's necessary. The man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the father. I understand. I'll ride that train with you all the way down the road, but you'd be doing damage to the context to preach it. That's not necessarily what he's saying. Only one thing is necessary, Period. She's chosen a better thing. He didn't say, I'm glad everybody chose that thing. Because then he don't get no lunch. Right? But what if he was saying this? You're worried about so many things. We don't need that much. We're just simple fellas. Only one thing's necessary. We don't have to have prime rib, baked potatoes, corn on the cob. We'd be fine with bologna sandwiches. Only one thing's necessary. Just some. Huh? It's not necessary that you try to prepare this whole buffet. We don't expect that. You didn't know we were coming. We just kind of showed up. We understand the stress you're under. We don't mean to bring that on you. Hey, there you go. Give us, you got a loaf of bread and some bologna. Put it on the table. Sit down here. Uh-oh. Only one thing is necessary. She's chosen the better thing. Hmm. There's a lesson in here. In other words, just, just keep it simple so you can attend to the more important thing. So do what you have to do, but make time for Jesus. Do what you have to do, but make time for you. You still with me? Some of you has gone on to sleep. Let me ask you a question. How often do you get a chance to sit down at the feet of Jesus and just hang out? Well, because of what the Holy Spirit has done in our life, since he arose and sits at the right hand of the Father, we could do it any time we want. So I guess the better question would have been, how often do you? Well, I don't, Pastor, because I don't have time to be praying eight, ten hours a day. Exactly. Why? Because I'm busy. I got a job. I got kids. I got lawns to mow. I got things I got to do. I got to make money. I got to do. Exactly. He understands all that. He understands all that. 
But he will always come by if we'll make time for him. What a wasted trip that would have been for Jesus had he gone to Martha's house and nobody sat at his feet. Huh? We thought about that? What if he'd have went and Martha and Mary and Lazarus and everybody jumped up and just took off and went to work and they slaved and got it all ready and they ate and then, see you later. Jesus would have been like, you know, I had a word. I had a word I was going to share with, with them. I had a little encouragement, but they just didn't have time. They were too busy. Mary had chosen what was best, and, and for that decision, it wasn't going to be taken from her. Now, it wasn't that she was lazy either. Here's the thing about, about her. Mary had recognized that this was a moment in time that might never come again. And she wasn't going to let it get away just because somebody needed to fix a meal. Maybe if Martha had said, Mary, grab that bologna and I'll get the bread and throw them on the table, she might have helped. Because she wasn't going to let this opportunity get away just because there was housework that needed to be done. So now let me ask you a question. This is a little different than what we usually do on Sunday. Don't have lots of points. Don't have lots of things on the screen. Here we are. We're just talking. But I want to ask you a question. What if Jesus were preaching here today right now instead of me? You say, well, it'd be a whole lot better. Yeah, I understand that. But stay with me for a minute. What if Jesus was preaching here today? And while he was preaching, one of his disciples walked up to you and whispered in your ear. Hey, right after church, Jesus wants to know if it's okay if he comes over to your house and has lunch. He's got something he wants to share with you. What would the rest of the service be like for you? Huh? You wouldn't hear a word he said. He could preach the message that made the Sermon on the Mount look like a nursery rhyme. And you wouldn't remember one point about it. Because all you'd be thinking is, we got to clean the bathroom. We got to clean the kit. We got to go get some food. We got to do. And here's what would happen. As soon as Jesus gave the altar call, you would bolt up out of here and run as hard as you could go thinking... That I got time while they're praying to get the work done. And you would miss the most miraculous thing that ever happened in your lifetime. Because Jesus would begin to lay hands on people and speak into their lives. And they'd be healed and delivered and set free. Miraculous things would take place. And you'd never know it. Because you'd be running home. Trying to get the house clean. Trying to get food on. Trying to get. And here's what would happen. Then after church, Jesus would show up. And you'd run around all over the house. Getting it ready. Making sure it's done. And then when it was done, you'd clean up the plates. And no, I'll take that Jesus. And then he would get up and leave. And you'd look at somebody and say, wasn't it awesome having Jesus here today? And it wouldn't even, it'd go right over your head. You missed the whole thing. You missed the whole thing. How often do we do that? How often do we do that? Seasons like we're in right now. 
where the Holy Spirit is brooding and moving and, and, and he's just, God is just dumping out vials of blessings and good things on his church. But some people are, the whole time I've been talking this morning, been sitting there going, man, I got to get that oil change in that car tomorrow. I've got to go to the store. We have got to have groceries. Man, I forgot to pay that bill. I bet that's due tomorrow. I'm going to have to do that online rather than put that in an envelope. Man, I need to think. The whole time I've been talking. And how much do you miss? Because you can't just remember that only one thing is necessary. What is the only one thing? It's whatever you absolutely have to do. Do it and get it out of the way so you can spend time with Jesus. Jesus said, you're worried about so many things. Only one thing is necessary for us. She's chosen the better thing and it's not going to be taken from her. She's going to have that for the rest of her life. This week when the storms roll in and someday when Lazarus dies... And everybody's standing around at the tomb crying and worrying. She's going to remember the day she sat here and heard me tell her about things like faith and hope and peace and joy and all the things that she could have. And she'll know it, but you missed it. You were getting ready for me, but you never made time for me. What a powerful message. What do you do when Jesus shows up here or there? It's the same question we should ask ourselves right now. The same situation we'd be put in right now. There's a fellow named J. Arthur Rank. He was an English executive. And years ago, I want you to listen to what he decided to do. He decided he was going to do all of his worrying one day a week. And he picked Wednesdays. Just flat, not going to do it any other day. But on Wednesdays, I'll worry, he said. And so what he did was every day of the week, he would write down whatever caused his ulcer to flare up. And he would put it in a box. And then every Wednesday, he'd open the box to deal with his worries. And here's what he found out. He found that most of the things that he had been putting in the box that had disturbed him for the past six days were already settled. And it would have been useless for him to worry about them. Not a bad way to look at things, huh? It's the same with us. Why Why do we stress and fuss and worry and run around crazy? And in so doing, we miss those times of refreshings that we could have had with the Lord because we're so preoccupied. When he shows up, remember this. He may show up here today. I'm not being mean to any of y'all, but I'm going to tell you right now, if I was to give an altar call right now, half y'all would jump up and run out there to get your car as fast as you could for the reason of getting to a restaurant before somebody else. And miss what really mattered. Only one thing is necessary. Sit down. Relax. 
empty your mind of that clutter and just listen and learn to hang around with God and enjoy his presence. Don't get uncomfortable when God shows up. Some people get scared to death. They pray and pray for God to show up. The minute he does, they bolt and run as hard as they can go. They're scared to death. They're scared of there ever being a quiet moment in God's presence. They can feel his presence moving in the room and it scares them to death. They want somebody to sing. Somebody do something. Somebody say something. Somebody do something. They can't bear for there to be a quiet moment where God is just here. They can't just sit at his feet and just relax. I'm telling you, those times of sitting at his feet are the only thing that have gotten me through many of the things in my life. Times that he would come and move in such a special way and then something tragic or terrible or something very trying would happen right after. And I would over and over keep going back to that moment saying, man, if it hadn't have been for, man, if it hadn't have been for that, I don't know how I'd be getting through this right now. It hadn't have been for the moving of the spirit. If it hadn't have been for what God said to my heart. If it hadn't have been for what God showed me. It hadn't have been for what God touched me and did my, I don't know how I'd get through this right now. You can't afford to miss those times because only one thing is necessary. And so here's the points of the message. Are you ready? Number one, choose not to worry. And number two, choose to enjoy. And that's it. That's the message. You're like, really? Are you going to expound on that? Nope. It says it all. But you have to choose. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it is living and it comes alive in our spirit. I thank you for the way that you open it up and you show us those golden truths that change our lives. I'm guilty this morning, Lord, of Many times being so busy, having so much going on in my mind. Even in church services, Lord, there have been times where I was so worried about making sure I made every announcement that I missed something that you were doing. God, I just want to get back to only one thing, to the simple thing. If you're going to show up, Lord, then we'll just eat bologna. We're going to keep it simple. If you're going to show up, Lord, we're just going to hang around with you. We're going to sit at your feet because we can't afford to miss. We can't afford to miss this opportunity. Now, while we're praying, I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would come and stand across the front. And, and any of you that want to come to them for prayer, you can do so, okay? So prayer team, you come. And I don't know who's coming, but if they want to, they can. But I want you to come and stand across the front and be ready. And then I want to say to everybody else in this room, if you want to come and we'll have these pray with you, then they'll be glad to do it. But there's a lot of you right now that are saying, you know, I really don't need anybody to pray for me. I just want to sit down at his feet for a few minutes. I just want to find myself a place at the altar or at a chair or at my seat. But, but if he's going to show up this morning, I don't want to miss it. I'm not, I refuse to worry about 
what I'm going to do tomorrow. I refuse to worry about what I'm going to eat today. Right now, if he's going to show up, I'm not going to miss this. So all across this room, we're turning this into a house of prayer again. And I would ask, if you want prayer with one of these, you come with, to one of them and they'll pray with you. If you just want to come and kneel, if you want to fill these altars or fill this house around the edges or right there where you're at, whatever you need to do, I want you to make time right now to sit at the feet of Jesus. And remember, only one thing is necessary. Clear your mind. Clear the clutter choose not to worry and choose to enjoy this moment with Jesus Neil's going to lead us and we're just going to relax in God's presence and let him do what he wants to do can we do that